We pick it up this morning, or afternoon, I guess it's afternoon, isn't it? I don't even know anymore. In verse 7, where the Lord tells Moses to get down. It says right here, look at it with me. Verse 7, and the Lord said to Moses, go, get down. For your people whom you brought out of the land of Egypt have corrupted themselves. They've turned aside quickly out of the way which I commanded them. They have made themselves a molded calf and worshipped it and sacrificed to it and said, This is your God, O Israel, that brought you out of the land of Egypt. And the Lord said to Moses, I have seen this people indeed. It is a stiff-necked people. Now therefore, let me alone that my wrath may burn hot against them and I may consume them, and I will make of you a great nation. And then Moses pleaded with the Lord his God, and said, Lord, why does your wrath burn hot against your people whom you have brought out of the land of Egypt with great power and with a mighty hand? Why should the Egyptians speak and say, He brought them out to harm them, to kill them in the mountains, and to consume them from the face of the earth? Turn from your fierce wrath and relent from this harm to your people. Remember Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, your servants to whom you swore by your own self and said to them, I will multiply your descendants as the stars of heaven. I will multiply your descendants as the stars of heaven and in all this land that I have spoken, I have given to your descendants. And they shall inherit it forever. So the Lord relented from the harm in which he said he would do to his people. Now we could go on, but let's pray and just see how the Lord develops this first. Father God, I just thank you for the privilege of being able to take this time now, and I expect you to do astoundingly great things. I thank you, Lord, that you are here. Father, that you dwell upon the praises of your people. Jesus, that when two or more are gathered in your name, there you are in our midst. Holy Spirit, we know you're here because you dwell within believers. So here we have the whole Trinity in this building. Now we know the heaven of heavens can't contain you. So thank you for pouring a bit of yourself here, Lord. Thank you, Lord, that in this room right now there is healing, transformation, encouragement, edification. What we need, everything we need in you. So Lord, I just pray right now that you would manifest that Your Word would burst open and come alive for each of us and speak into our heart of hearts, into our ears, what we need to hear today individually as, as people and corporately as a family. Knit us together into a fabric of something beautiful in Your glory. I pray we'd have so much fun in Your Word. And Lord, in that, that You would do every bit of the therapy You have ordained for every one of us this morning, this afternoon. We commit it to You. And I just pray, Lord, we'd have so much fun as we get in Your Word now. Oh, just prick open our hearts, Lord, and just soften us to You in every way possible. May we hear Your call today. In Jesus' name, Amen. I would say today, as I would any, please don't just believe me. Don't just assume it's true because I say so. Search the Scriptures. Let the Bible always have the final say. Now, understand what's happened here. Moses has been up for 40 days. In those 40 days, Moses has received the law. He has received the call to build the sanctuary that God may dwell among His people. He has set up the sacrificial system, the laws for the priests, everything that will be necessary to approach God. And in all of that, the people heard those Ten Commandments. And, and when God did that, He said, by the way, now the first thing He does after giving the Ten Commandments is He says, now build me an altar. And I want that altar, at, according to chapter 20 and then in chapter 24 when Moses builds it, he want, I want it at the foot of the mountain. I want it on the top as if you think you have to climb to get to me. I want it to be at the bottom because I want to come down and meet you where you are, not you rise up to meet me. And that is the difference between Jesus and anything else that's called religion, to be honest. With everything else, you climb the mountain to get to God, whatever that mountain is, your good works, your attendance, all of those other things. And yet with Scripture, the biblical Jesus came down to earth to meet us where we were because we just were, well, as God calls it, dead. Imagine yelling at a dead person saying, if you could climb up that mountain, God will make you alive. Good luck with that. 
Now, after all of that, and they hear God give the Ten Commandments, the entire congregation of Israel at the foot of the mountain when God says the first command, let's get this first and foremost. I just don't want any competition. I mean, it's just that simple. It's interesting because that's easily overlooked for every one of us. I mean, God is saying, look, before we even start this relationship, can I just say, I don't want any competition. Now, let me just put this into perspective for a moment, and we'll get into our text. You may not know this, but when I was 24 years old, I had never asked a girl out in my life. Now, it wasn't because, well, you could decide for yourself in regards to the opportunities I would have had or not. But to be honest, because of the way of my upbringing and kind of how crazy my life was as a young person, I thought the nicest, most noble thing I could do was stay out of romance for other people's sake. I had gotten saved at 19. And really, I cannot say this, Jesus became, and hopefully this makes sense, Jesus became my Savior at 19, but I opened up that beautiful book at 23, and Jesus became my Lord at 23. And everything started to change. I put down all of my music anything that was athletic, and I said, look, it, you're gonna, you need to reinvent me from the ground up. I'll never even sing unless you tell me to. I was very, very serious about it. And during that particular period of time, the Lord introduced a woman into my life. Now, when I first met her, her hair was pulled back. She had no makeup on. She had this pair of sweat. You know, she had trainer you know, trousers and a trainer shirt on, that kind of thing. She was just a person which was really nice. It wasn't like she was super high maintenance, way dolled up, the whole bit, blah, blah, blah. She was just a human being that I got to speak with under a certain set of circumstances. And the Lord said, I want you to go and call her and actually seek to spend some time with her. I want you to pursue her. Now understand, I'm just finding the Lord. I'm just finding the Lord. And I'm thinking, this is, is this the enemy? You know? Is this, is this Satan trying to distract me? Is this, because it made no sense to me. It makes so much more sense now, of course, on the other side of that hill. And, and, and with that, I mean, I'm like, I, I, how do I do this? I've, I've escaped 24 years of not doing this. So I give her a call. She, had, she was working on a movie. They needed somebody to write the soundtrack. That was, it was a very professional arrangement. So I call her. Hi, this is Tony. Oh, hi, Tony. Hey, um, would you like to go for a walk on the beach? It's clear as day, Suzanne says. No. <laughs> See, now understand, up to that point, I would have told you, or I could, at least I could have told myself, if I'd have asked her, she'd have said yes, right? This is my first shot at it. I'm zero for one. And I'm like, all right, Lord, I'm not really sure what you're doing here. I'm cool with this, whatever. And I'll be honest, a no is a little easier to handle. Some of you understand that. Like, no would be, okay, cool, all right. Go back to where I was. Well, maybe she doesn't like, okay, but there's a part of you that thinks, well, wait a minute. It can't be me, right? She doesn't like beaches. That's probably what it is, right? Doesn't like those long walks on beaches. What girl doesn't like long walks on beaches? She doesn't. All right. All right, well, um, how about a movie? Do you want to go see a movie? She's like, no. And now I'm just trying to figure out how to gnaw my arm off, hang up the phone with dignity, right? I'm like, well, okay, I'll talk to you at the next, you know, movie. And I'm just, as I'm hanging up the phone, it is not in my ear anymore. We are in the trajectory of hanging up. I hear, hey, 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 hey. Yes. She goes, listen, you're a nice guy and I like you, but it's going to be marriage or nothing. Okay. Now listen. No. <laughs> no was easy to handle. No was like, okay, I can walk out of there, right? Now I'm like a pubescent guy. I'm like, oh, my voice is cracking. I'm like, oh, hey, listen. Um, God just told me to pursue you. I don't know what I'm doing, okay? I could use some help here. She's like, all right, you can come over. She was living with her parents, so it was safe. Now, all that to say this, she had been in enough situations where somebody sang their song, did their dance, smiled their smile, and made lots of promises, but there was always competition. She's like, I'm tired of it. I don't want competition. Look at if this is going to happen, I want you to love me for the rest of your life, or I don't even want to enter into this. 
Now that sounds fair, doesn't it? How about God? When God says, look it, when we enter into a real relationship, I don't want any competition. I don't want it to be like I'm like your, your security thing, but you got like this thing on the side, you know? It's like, oh, that's you, but mm, money. Money's my, money's my honey, you know? <laughs> it's like my little thing that's like, you know, I hide the phone number when you come walking in. God doesn't want any of that. And the people heard that. But Moses has been up there 40 days. Now they can still see the cloud. He's been leading by a pillar of cloud by day, fire by night. It isn't like you can't see the cloud. You can't go, where's God? Look up. He's there. There he is. Big cloud. Moses you can't see. He entered into the cloud. We haven't seen him in 40 days. And the last thing God said was, would you rest with me? Would you please rest with me? Other people aren't interested in resting. But let's be honest. If you've fallen in love with someone, resting becomes a, a reward. Any of, you remember, any of you young enough to remember when a nap was actually punishment? Send you to your bed. Now, some of you can't remember back then, and I'm sorry. But, but, but some of you, it's like, look it. Now, now, today, if someone says, why don't you go take a nap? You're like, thank you. That was thank you very much. I'm glad, yeah. I don't know what I did right, tell me, because I, I could do this again. When you're in love with someone, yeah, when you're in love with someone, resting isn't such a bad thing. It's like, let's just, let's just hang out and enjoy each other. We don't have to do. We don't have to have a list to tick off. Let's just be. Let's just be. Now listen, Christians, those of you who've made claim to Jesus Christ, are you being with Jesus or just doing with Jesus? Because that's the whole point of that, right? So the world looks at people doing all day. And we say we have a relationship with God where it's intimate and romantic and loving and all of these crazy things, but we still look like an employee because we're still doing things to try to make him happy, which is so backwards. So Moses is up there and the people get tired of waiting. That's important because God, that's what he was saying. Now Sabbath with me. It's all the word means is rest. And so the people turn to Aaron, which is interesting because God's calling Aaron to the ministry. Please hear me. God's calling Aaron to the ministry in full knowledge that Aaron's going to make one of the stupidest choices in all of Scripture. Do you find that interesting? Do you think you're disqualified because you've done something stupid? As if somehow God then discovered, oh, wait a minute, I'm sorry. If I really took a careful look, I would have clearly not called you. Really? God is calling Aaron while Aaron's down there making a mold and he says, give me all your earrings. They threw them all in and, and, you know, and he makes, he, he burns this thing up, he melts it, he puts the gold in the thing. They make this cow and they say, oh, this is the God that took you out of Egypt. And there's a part of me that thinks, funny, that didn't exist an hour ago, but you got delivered three and a half months ago? Any part of you that thinks, yeah, I'm going to buy that lie? And there are some that say, well, they tried to do this, but they really thought it should be the living God. Well, clearly in this text, God says, they made that thing instead of me. He doesn't think they think it's him. And I don't know about you, but, I, but someone says, you know, I made this thing and I think it's just like you. It's a cow. I don't know who gets complimented by that. So God now turns to, now remember, here's God and he's hanging out with Moses. We read God speaks to Moses like a man speaks to his friend. So can you imagine you guys are just talking, hanging out? And the Lord says to Moses, you need to get down now. You need to get down there. This is your people who you brought out. And you go, wait a minute, wait a minute. Didn't God do all that? Please understand something. It's just what they said. They said, as for that Moses, the man who brought us out, we don't know what happened to him. God says, listen to what those people are saying. They're giving you all the credit, Moses, so it's your people. So why don't you go down there? And listen to verse 8. And I don't know if you can miss it, but listen. They've turned aside. What's the next word after that? Can, can you, now, now some of you can read more than four of you, right? They've turned aside. What's the next word? Can you, can you all say it? What is it? Quickly. Yeah, quickly. Do you get an idea here? No word, of course, in the simplest sense. Meher means in a hurry. Right. That makes sense, right? Now listen, the last thing God said was rest. And they're like, they're in such a hurry. They did this. 
They wouldn't rest with me. They wouldn't relax with me. They wouldn't breathe with me. So they were tired of not doing. So they took matters into their own hands. Any place in Scripture that looks good? It's a woman that looks at her husband and says, you know, God did promise that a child would be born through you. We've been waiting now for years. I got an idea. I got a maidservant. And Abraham, that mighty, holy man of God, goes, okay. Here's the point. See what happens when you get tired of waiting? Can I just say, remember, in the Hebrew verb tenses, we have past, present, and future in ours. There's only two. It's either perfect or imperfect. It's either done or it isn't. That's it. And God who dwells outside of time looks and says, it's either done or it isn't. And you're like, I'm tired of waiting. God's like, it's done. You're like, it isn't for me. I'm still waiting for it. God says, but it's done. Don't worry. In other words, God read the end of the book. He wrote the end of the book. He looks at him. He says, I know what the end of the situation is. You're like, yeah, but I'm not there yet. God says, then wait. 25 years, you'll get your boy. We, we need to wait until nobody will believe it. All right? Now listen to, listen to that. God, I need a miracle, but just a little one. You know why I want a little one? Because I don't want to struggle the amount that it takes to need a big miracle, right? I just want a little miracle. And what happens if God gives a little miracle? A little miracle means I did most of it and God helped me. God says, let's wait. Till when? Till you need a big miracle. I don't want to wait that long. God says, I know. You need it. And the rest of the people around you who need to hear who God really is, they need it too. So here's the situation. You and you're like, there's no possible way this could happen now. He's been dead for four days and by now he stinketh. And God says, now it's a good time to do this. And then at that point, you can't say, Martha, Mary, wow, way to employ that ointment to make him alive again. By that point, when you roll away the stone, there's no hope but God. And that's the point of this. And God has no problem with that. We do. Because as far as God's concerned, Jesus had already said, this will not end in death. The problem was, he didn't say that it wasn't in route. Now please hear me. In our text here, look at this process in verse 8. Listen. It started by them hurrying. And as a result of that, they turned aside. And as a result of that, they replaced God with this cow, for which then they declared Him worthy, and then they sacrificed to it. Listen, you hurried. You got tired of waiting and being with God, so you decided you were going to rush up, and what you did is you turned aside. Because if God says, stay here with me, anywhere you go is wrong, right? And then he says, right now, then what happens? I'm going to replace him. Well, you can't. I mean, just like, I need something right now. And by the time you're done, you are sacrificing to it. That's what happens. Here's the way it works in most common days. Mario's had a tough day. And because he's had a tough day, he knows as a godly man, and people look up to him, he should pray. He should read his word. It's been a rough day. Chris Cosman says, how are you doing? He's like, oh, it's been a rough day. <laughs> rough day. And he goes, okay, what are you doing? He's like, I'm praying, I'm praying. I need to pray. And he's praying. I'm reading my Bible, reading my Bible. Okay, good. So to today, that's kind of good. And he kind of gets into it. Rhea looks at him, his wife, and she's like, so what are you doing? I'm praying, I'm reading. It's a rough day. Tomorrow, he has another rough day. Another rough day. And he goes, God, how many rough days am I going to have? No answer. Let's be honest. Why should God answer that question? Think about it. If God says three, then the fourth day, if anything rough goes on, you, you, you said three days! Right? So God remains silent, and he just smiles, and he watches Mario. Mario gets tired of that. And he goes, you know, I could do other things. Someone says, you know, why don't you just come and have a few scotches with me down at the pub? That's what we do when we have a rough day. Been a rough day, and you think, yeah, I get tired of waiting for God to step in on a situation and change that person. By now, that person should be sent to Siberia. I've been praying for three weeks for that person to be sent to Siberia. God's like, I'm shaping you from that person. You're like, no, 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 no. Shape me with something nice. Send that person away. And they're not. So you're like, you know what? Fine, God. If you're not going to do it my way, I'll. You'll what? I'll go spend the night in internet porn. I'll spend the night drinking. I'll go spend the night. And you know what you're thinking? Sure, serves you right, God. Anyone, you know, and. and 
I've, I've been told stories like this, right? Because you know, I'm a pastor. That kind of stuff doesn't happen to me. No. Um, here's the point of it. Is every person has those choices to make because God says, just stay here with me. And you're like, but nothing happens here. God says, yeah, you're right. Did I have to calm this storm or can I just calm you in it? Like I'd stand up. He's like, you know, Jesus is sleeping. We haven't even touched him. He's, it's a minor miracle, right? We're in a storm and he's sleeping still. I'm like, that's a heavy sleeper. And, and it's like, think about it. God never sleeps. He never slumbers. This is like his only nap he's going to get, right? And so here we are. We finally don't even wake him up. And so we're like, don't you care? We're dying here. And he's like, really? Are you serious? And he's like, ah, be still. That's it. And you're thinking, why didn't I come to him early? And then he goes, so where, where, where's your faith? Think of how much time before that? Peter's like, hey, I'm an expert in this. We've been in storms before. Matthew, bail. Come on, you're a tax collector. Bail, I said. What's wrong with you? Come on, you're a zealot. You should bail zealously. You know, I mean, and sooner or later, it's like, come on, you're an expert. And you're thinking, oh, this is the big guy. I remember my grandpa was in a storm like this. And finally, you're like, okay, everyone's bailing. We're done. This guy's still sleeping. But he doesn't have to calm the storm. The second time he didn't. He wasn't even in the boat. Remember, he was going to walk right by. And the guys screamed like little girls. Sailors telling scary stories about guys that walk on water. And as he walks through on the whole thing, it's like, you know what, they just go, Peter, here's the point of it. It's like, you didn't have to calm the storm to be calmed in it. Right? He's like, look, it, you hurried. And you know what happened when we hurried? When we hurried, we turned aside. And when we turned aside, we started replacing. We're like, you know what? I can't get God here because he said, wait over there. So he's writing my back now telling me to come back and I'm going to go and find something else. You know, it's a good drink. It's a, I'm just going to watch six hours of Star Wars. That will make me feel better. And then, you know, by the time you're done, you're like, I, I don't even know what reality is anymore. But, you know, but I think I'm a Jedi. You know? God's like, you know, he, you know, I'm thinking, well, you know, you know, you know what happens, right? When you try to do that kind of stuff, you try to bring God into it, but you have to shape him different. Have you noticed that? You're like, you know, now that I think about it, God's kind of like Obi-Wan Kenobi and, or kind of like Yoda or you know, God's like, stop it. You know, you could just get 100% pure me over here or you could try to fit me into your little green Muppet over here. And, and, and here's my point of it, is that by the time you're done, you're sacrificing. Now you've sacrificed your, your integrity. You've sacrificed definitely time you're not going to get back. You've sacrificed all kinds of money. And often you've sacrificed the respect of people around you because you got tired of waiting. And that's where the people were in this. And God says, now you need to get down and get some, to deal with this. And this won't be the last time. This is just the first. And the Lord said in verse 9, I've seen these people, they're stiff-necked. I think this is interesting because God never questions the people in a manner of saying, I thought, you, well, weren't you going to be better than this? When he knew what he was dealing with when he got us. Now understand, stiff-necked is not a brilliant concept. It's a very simple thing. You're on a horse, you're riding a horse, and the reins, you pull the reins, and you can steer a person quite well by turning their head. It's one of the first things you learn in martial arts. If you get their head to go in a different direction, it's hard for the rest of their body to keep coming at you. And so if you pull a rein and the, horse turns, the horse's head goes this way, the rest of the horse should go with it. But if the horse isn't interested in going right when you want to go right, it stiffens up so that when you try to turn it, it's like, no, I'm not going to go there. I'm not going to go there. And he says, that's what we're like here. Because I know these people. I'm like, I'm just steering them. And, and, and they don't want to be steered. They're just not steerable. Do you get it? Here's the problem. Please understand, God never uses excessive force. Have you noticed that? So if God has to use force, dang it, it's my fault. If God can steer you with a whisper, he will. So if God could say, Gina, this is what you should do. You're like, all right. But when God has to shout, it's not pretty. It will never be pretty when God shouts. If he can steer with a feather, he's not going to use a sledgehammer. But if he has to bring out the big guns, we need a neck check. Does that make sense? Now, I don't know about you, but I'll be honest. I've got a pretty rough neck. Because there are times where, and here's the problem is, God will say, take one step east. And I'm like, got it, go to China. Right? And God's like, no, 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 no. I said one step east. And I said, yeah, I filled in the rest. God's like, why would you do that? I'm sure I'm the only one, right, that does that. 
And says, like, God, God, give me step two. And God's like, no. And you're like, no, 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 God, really, give me step two and I'll tell you whether I'm going to take step one. God says, look it. Imagine if God sat down and he said, Yasmin, here are the plans for all of 2013 that I have for your life. You know what will happen? Yasmin will say, awesome, I'll see you on January 1st, 2014. Right? You wonder why? Because God's, the biggest thing for God is your relationship with him. If God gave you all the plans, you wouldn't go back to ask. So he gives you one step. And then you're like, okay, east, one step. Now what? God's like, good, now let's talk about the next step. These people at this point, their necks are stiff. And in matter of fact, we're going to find something a little bit very enlightening in this in a, in a moment here. Now look at it. By the time we're done with these short verses here, notice by verse 14, the Lord relents. He actually stops doing what he was going to do. That's a little weird. In between that, Moses pleads. This is what God says, by the way. And this whole idea of being <laughs> stiff-necked, God's going to throw out all throughout Scripture. It'll be in Deuteronomy 10, as he reminds them in Second Chronicles 30, it will be as well, of verse 8. But it says in verse 10, notice God says, Look, leave me alone, that my wrath may burn hot against them, and I consume them, and I make of you a great nation. No, Moses will tell us later he was the humblest man that ever lived. And if he really was, that had to be the hardest thing he ever wrote. But please understand what humility is, because I think this really demonstrates a real radical humility. Humility doesn't mean you think very low of yourself. What humility really means is you just don't think of yourself. Now, that's pretty radical. Because I'll be honest, I'm really good at trying to think low of myself, but we could call that false humility. You know, when someone says, you know, I'm just not looking really that good today. You know, feeling a little bit dumpy. You know, and it's, what's really fun, and I guess I'm just kind of mean this way, is I'm like, yeah, wow, yeah. Just to see how they <laughs> respond. <laughs> They're like, what? What? Are you saying I'm fat? I'm like, no, you said you're fat. Are you trying to get me to give you a compliment? That's not humility. Think of it this way. Every one of us has a spotlight. When you were born, God gave you a spotlight. And you get to choose where that spotlight gets shown. So, situations happen. God's gonna, God has his own spotlight, too. But you choose your spotlight. What are you going to highlight? And if you're like, I'm just the miserable, I'm just the lowly, I'm just that, you're still choosing the spotlight yourself. If you notice that? I challenge you to look at all of the worship songs that you have on your list and see how many of them are really spotlight on you. Because there are so many of them that are just like that. Now, there are moments where you could be very consumed with the fact, and I think it's still very genuine, where you're like, you know, Lord, I am really amazed the spotlight gets, doesn't stay there for long. Oh Lord, our Lord, how excellent is your name in all the earth. When I consider the work of your fingers, the sun and the moon and the stars that you have made, I start to think, and what is man that you're mindful of him, the son of man that you give him any time at all? I mean, you made him a little lower than the angels, but crown him with glory and honor. Oh Lord, our Lord, how excellent is your name in all the earth. And I kind of get the idea, now that's abbreviated, but you kind of get the idea. His eyes were, he's like, God, I, you're so, so big. And when I think of me, I think, I'm so small. Man, you're big. It still gets back there. You get it? And, and there's a danger in that. And, and, and the only reason I say that is that if Moses really were a man that just tried to look humble, but he really wasn't, it was still all about him, this was a very prime opportunity. Because God said, look it, why don't I wipe out all of these people and you could be the new father, the new Abraham of a whole new breed, a whole new tribe of people. I think of how many of you would go, cool, all right. Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, and me. Moses doesn't do that. What Moses does in these verses, in the simplest sense, he stands in the gap. He stands in the gap between a God who has a right to judge his people and a people who have a right to be judged, pleading the heart of God. And can I say that's the whole point of this message today. What God is looking for is gap standers. And can I just say, I believe that every Christian on the planet is supposed to be one. You know how amazing it is? how few there really are. Before we even develop this, 
Listen to this. In Psalm 106, if you had a chance to hear it at the beginning when Jeffrey read it, in verse 19, this is what God says. This is now, well, about 400 years later, as it's written in the Psalms, recounting this story. And it says, They made a calf in Horeb. Horeb, by the way, is the same as Mount Sinai. They worshipped the molded image. They changed their glory into the image of an ox that eats grass. They forgot God, their Savior, who had done great things in Egypt, wondrous works in the land of Ham, awesome things by the Red Sea. Therefore, He said that He would destroy them had not Moses, His chosen one, stood before Him in the breach to turn away His wrath lest He destroy them. Now, wait a minute. Are you saying, Pastor Tony, are you saying that one person could change God's mind? Now, instead of arguing over the semantic or the doctrine of it, which I'm not too sure is brilliant to do, the Scripture really makes it clear that a single individual could be used to bring salvation to an entire community. The question is whether you're willing to be that individual. God, I mean, like, whether you want to argue over this to appease a guilty conscience, the bottom line is God's looking for these kind of people. Listen to this. Isaiah 59.16 God looked and He saw that there was no man and He wondered why there was no intercessor. Therefore, God had to bring the salvation Himself. In Isaiah 63.5 God says, I looked, but there was no one who would help. And I wonder why there was no one to uphold. In Jeremiah chapter 8, verse 1, or 5, verse 1, God says, Run to and fro throughout the streets of Jerusalem and see now and know. Seek in her her open places if you can find even just one man who will execute judgment, who seeks the truth, and I will pardon her. And I think of Abraham himself, the father of this whole nation, who in Genesis 18.23 said to God, will you destroy the righteous with the wicked? Do you know that God never criticized Abraham for haggling with God? Fifty people. Would you kill all of that place if there were fifty righteous people? And God's like, no, I wouldn't. And he's like, well, well, don't be upset, but, but what about 45? Like, no. How about 40? Please don't be angry with me, but I was thinking maybe 10. That's what he gets down to. And God says, you know what? You find 10 righteous people down there, I will not lay waste that city. And Abraham stopped. What would have happened if he just said five or three? To this day, you can't have a synagogue in a community without 10 Jewish men. And it's from that text. They're like 10... Righteous men would be enough not to destroy a city. They call it a minion. But God is looking. And here's the problem, beloved. You are being trained by the world, and I am so sick of it. That we listen to the world and we actually agree with them, and we don't even do our own research. The church is irrelevant. The church doesn't care. The church isn't whatever. You're a church. You decide for yourself who you are in this thing. But understand, when the world says that about that, don't forget you're part of it. And Jesus has never bailed on his bride and you're still part of her. She may have warts, but let me tell you what, God loves her anyways. It's amazing that 14 to 1 you'll find, have mercy on me, have mercy on me, have mercy on me, have mercy on me, O Lord God. And then we finally get to Psalm 123 and it says, have mercy on us. Where is the us's these days? Where are the Daniels? Where are the Nehemiahs? The people that stop making it us and them? And the people who stop building the hate the church churches? Have you seen those? It's like, we're the church that hates the church. So you hate yourself? No, no, no. We're not Christians. We're followers of Jesus. Okay. I'm not a man. I'm not a woman. What? Yeah, I didn't get that either. Listen, instead of trying to let other people claim the territory, how about we just take it back? Wouldn't that be weird? Well, we don't want to say Christian because it breeds bad ideas. How about this? You know what we do in the stalls? I walk by and I say, I'll just, I just want you to know I'm a Christian. Yeah, I don't know what you think that is, but you're welcome to investigate my life. I love Jesus Christ. He saved me on the cross, rose from the dead, and I'm going to be praying for you. If you give me your name, I'll pray for you. By name, if you tell me something, I'll pray for it. And if not, I'm going to pray for your face. <laughs> That's what I do. I call it the, I, I call it the Omega Course. 
Because there's an Alpha course. This is the Omega course. We're right at the end of this, right? Now, here's the point. We're going to put Jesus right up at the front. Hey, look at it. And you know what most people say? I, I don't know if I, I've met people that call themselves Alpha. I don't know if I've ever really met a Christian until I met you. Now, that doesn't mean I'm super Christian. You know, what I am is like anyone. I'm a sinner saved by grace. But here's the cool part about it. In the end of it all, once someone goes, you know, my name's Abib. And I'm like, okay, cool. So yeah, and then as I'm walking away, I'm typing it into my phone. Abib, right. And then, and then later on, I'm like, hey, Abib, how you been? And they're like, whoa. You remember? And I'm like, yeah, Jesus knows you by name. He's calling you right now. I don't know if it's interesting about that, but I've got a kid who's got a problem right now in there. He's got a, wow, okay, can I pray for that? Well, not in front of me. All right, okay, cool. I'm going to pray anyways. And the next day you come back, how's Amir, your son? And they're like, whoa, whoa, whoa. And here's the whole point of it. It's like, look, at instead of actually saying, you know, I know what you probably think Christians are, so I've decided to call myself relegated by grace person. You know, and by the time people are like, what's that? And you're like, I don't know. I just didn't want to call myself a Christian. Instead, I'd actually rather say, you know what? I'm a Christian. Let's just start redefining it to what the Bible says. Wouldn't that be cool? Well, can you imagine? And here's this thing. In our culture right now, you may actually be the only Christian people have ever met. Isn't that weird? And if that's the case, how awesome is it you actually get to bring the definition for them? Now, understand, this guy is going to stand in the gap. Here's the crazy thing. God says, leave me alone. I'm going to kill him. I'm going to wipe them all out. Well, I get the idea that if God were alone, that's what was going to happen. God's looking, though. He's looking. He doesn't want to do this. What we read in Ezekiel is he takes no delight in the death of the wicked. Do you get that? God doesn't go, bam, ha, 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 ha. Ha, you like me now. He doesn't do that. His heart is broken over the wickedest of people who die. That's why we don't kill people. That's why we don't run out there and say, oh, you don't agree with me? I'll kill you. We don't do that. Because why would you want to send them premature before God unless they know Christ? And imagine if someone had killed Paul before he, or Saul before he became Paul. The Bible would be a lot shorter. So I'm not going to hate the church. I'm going to love her. And I'm going to pray for her. But I'm going to pray for me because I'm part of the problem too. I mean, we're amazed. We get so turned off by, by the world that sins. We're like, can you believe these sinners? They sinned. <laughs> Funny. Wow. Can you believe that burger maker made me a burger? Strange. I think the crazy thing is, is that saints aren't willing to be holy. We're not willing to actually walk sanctified. That's what should turn us off. But it isn't like we can say, hey, look, if you just find a problem and you sit and complain about it, nobody should respect you for that. So go and make a difference. It says a lazy man says there's a lion in the streets. We're going to be eating what? The kind of concept there is if you're not lazy, you're going to go, hey, let's get some guys and take down that lion. You're like, oh, bummer. Once he gets in here, I'm going to be eating. I'm not getting up. Let's make it easy on him. So let me tell you as we build this up in our last few minutes here, what Moses does that seems so powerful because my prayer is that every one of us will take the torch of being a gap stander. And all that is is saying, look at God, I just want you to know these people, including me, deserve your wrath. Please don't give it. Please. So look at it with me. Our verses in between. Verses 11, 12, and 13. We read Moses pleaded with the Lord his God. The word plead is the word chala. <clears throat> can you say the word chala? Chala means to rub or to knead. Like you can get chala bread, for instance. And it's a bread that's it's actually, it's, it's actually braided and it's kneaded. And the idea of something that actually gets gripped and rubbed and torn. That's what it says. And this is what Moses did. And it says literally there's two words for the word plead. There's that word and then the word face. Panim. And the idea of this is that Moses, when God says, leave me alone, I'll start with you, good enough, let's kill them all. And Jesus goes, oh, and there's a part of him, his heart gets gripped. And as his heart gets gripped, his whole face changes. Now what if God said that? Let's wipe out the Muslims, let's just kill them all. Is there a part of you that would go, God, please, please don't do this. Is there a, is there a heart gripped in that? Let's just kill all those people who hate you. Let's, let's kill all the atheists. Let's kill all the... I mean, let's, let's, you know, when they have the gay pride parade, let's just kill all of them. Where do we go with that? Is there a part of us that goes, oh, God, 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 please. 
Because his heart clearly in this is gripped by three things, and my heart needs to be gripped by those three things. Not just yours, mine too. And this is what it says. Moses pleaded with the Lord as God, and he said, here's the first of them, Lord, why does your wrath burn hot against your people? Not my people, not mine, yours. Whom you have brought out of the land of Egypt with great power and with a mighty land. And here's the first thing. His heart was gripped by God's people. Moses let his heart actually get gripped. Now, they're going to have arguments later over this. He's going to go, well, my people, it's your people. And God's like, well, my people, it's your people. And they're like, no, no, no. Eeny, meeny, miny, mo, you, you, yours. You know? and, but understand, here, Moses actually looks, and there's a part of him that realizes these are people. These are human beings that are intentional creations by a God who loves people. But they're his people. Now, there are people out there that aren't his children yet. God doesn't say all of humankind is the children of God. People who are adopted into God's kingdom, they're his children. But those people were still created, and God sends no one to hell joyfully. What about these people? Could you let God grip grip your heart for these people? These should be the safest. You're like, well, they'll probably stab me in the back too. Maybe you might stab them in the back. Now get over that and start loving these people like you should. Because Jesus said, the whole world won't even know you're my students, disciples, my fitikas. So you even just start being selfless to each other. You come in and just come in and be consumers and be selfish and it's all about you and the spotlight's all on you, 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 you. He goes, the world shouldn't see anything different in that. What they should see that should be different and the one thing you're not going to get from the world is selflessness that only comes, by the way, by people whose lives have been transformed by a God who died on the cross and rose again to give us brand new life. Does that make any sense? When Moses started this, understand his heart was gripped by people, God's people. And let it happen. Let it like, you know, when we heard that, that Ati, was on his, Ati and Juan were on their way to the hospital this week, and we didn't even know what, but it was clear, there's a part of you that feels Juan's pain, as you just know. The information is very cryptic. I was, to be honest, it was just an honor to be included in on that moment. Not a moment where, I mean, think about it. Here's a guy, he's in the middle of one of the hardest emergencies of his life, and he texts his pastor. How cool is that for me? I'm like, oh God, please. And I tell you, it was not, it wasn't like a wow. Bummer for him. Oh God, make his life a little. It's like everything stops in a moment like that. And you're like, God, please. For the sake of my friend, for the sake of his wife, please be their peace right now. I don't even know what's going on. I don't feel like they do either, but please be their peace. There's a difference. Do you see what I'm saying? I don't want to warn you, the people who will challenge you the most here probably be the people who will rub you the most. That's the same term. That's the first of the three things. If I'm going to be a gap stander, how could I possibly be a gap stander if I don't care for people? And how could I possibly say that I look like Jesus if I don't care for people? I hear pastors and ministers, praise God, nobody that's not part of, that's part of our immediate circle, so to speak, say, ministry would be easy if it wasn't for the people. What? How does that work? You know, that'd be like a guy that's an electrician that says, electricians, my, my job would be real easy if there wasn't electricity. I'm like, yeah, because you wouldn't have one. And what makes it so good is people. We get tickled. I giggle at night when I think about you guys. I literally do. My God, thank you, thank you, thank you. Second, verse 12. Why should the Egyptians speak and say he brought them out to harm them, to kill them in the mountains and to consume them from the face of the earth? Turn from your fierce wrath and relent from this harm to your people. Not only was Moses concerned or gripped by God's people, he was also gripped by God's person. In other words, his reputation. Any of you ever actually get tweaked when somebody starts using God's name in vain? No, you know, I, mean, I think it's about time you tell them. Hey, look, it, there's, a, there's probably a polite way to say it. Yeah, here's the thing, though. I, I'll be honest. When someone says, oh, my God, I tend to think they're not talking about mine. You know what I mean? I like to ask, so who is that? <laughs> oh, my God. Really? Who is he? Or she? Or it? Or... The mist. What is it? Like, uh, I, don't know what I don't know what you're talking about. I don't run around saying, oh, your mom. I used to. 
Don't do that anymore. I, I meet this couple, this, uh, this father and his son, Austin the fourth and Austin the fifth. And we start walking through Camden. We start to share with a young man that we've been kind of checking in on, investing in, that holds one of those signs as you kind of come out of the station. There's a guy next to him, super cantankerous, very loud Algerian guy that loves to yell. And he's, his God's Darwin. I mean, there's just no doubt about it. And if you don't believe in Darwin, you're an idiot. Which is really funny because there's one day, and let's just be honest, and this is what I told him. I said, one day you're going to agree with me. <laughs> you know, and you may, It may not be until after you die, but I guarantee you one day you will agree that God created everything and he knew what he was doing. I don't have to change my story. What? And he's like in your face, my hat's going up like this, you know. And, you know, and I'm not backing down. I'm like, the guy's his breath smelled okay. We were okay at the moment, you know. And he's just, you know, do you, really, do you really believe those fairy tales? Or do you really believe that nonsense? Or do you really believe blah, 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 right? And at this point, it's like, look it. I'm like, well, other than the fact of calling it a fairy tale, yes, I do. I do. He goes, well, that just shows you how stupid you are. Well, Believe what you want to believe, but I'll tell you this. There are actually people out there who believe this that aren't, that didn't have a lobotomy before they made that choice. Please hear me. When Roe versus Wade took place in America, that was the main trial to legalize abortion. They brought up a representative from the church. And they brought him and said, do you really believe blah, 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 blah. And the man knew that he was sort of in this catch-22 or whatever. And he said, no. He said, no, I don't believe those things. That's what we, the damage we do. That's the ground we give when we are, look at, take the heat, boys, ladies. Take the heat. Hey, if you're on a sports team and you are going and you're doing what's called an away game, you're playing somewhere else. I mean, I was raised in Chicago. I played American football. Now, regardless of how pansy you might think that is or isn't, because we wear pads, we still like to hit each other. And one thing's for sure, in some of the neighborhoods where we played it, they were neighborhoods where our jerseys were not welcome. We wore them anyways. Because, to be honest, it was just an honor being on the team. You're like, but if I wear this jersey, people will actually try to make my life miserable. And I go, especially when you win and you know you're going to win this game. You know why? Because it's not your neighborhood. That's why. And this isn't your neighborhood either, beloved. But one day, we will all agree. Every knee will bow. Beat the rush. Do it now. Last of them. So I'm asking myself, I'm asking you, are you gripped by God's people? Will you let God grip you for God's people? Will you, is your heart gripped for God's person? People go, I think God's just, you know, a gal that looks like Aunt Jemima and she lives in a shack. Okay, whatever. You know, but the bottom line is, let me tell you about the biblical God. I think he's this angry guy that just really wants to whack everyone with a stick. Let me tell you what Scripture says. And to be honest, it's easy to agree with people if you don't know who the real God is. And the only way to know who the real God is is to read his book. People are like, I wish I could read God's mind. I'm like, you can. He wrote it in his autobiography. I don't doubt who God is because he's made it clear in his word. And you're like, well, there are things I don't understand. Well, if he's that big, would you think you're going to understand everything about God? I don't understand everything about my wife. She's human. God's infinite. He's so big... He reveals the important stuff and everything else he just says, just trust me on. And to be honest, if I'm going to really say I'm his follower, I should trust him on it. To not lean upon my own understanding. Dang it. Finally, verse 13. Remember Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, or Israel. Notice he names him as Israel. That's the name he gets to change to. Your servants by whom you swore by your own self and said to them, I'll multiply your descendants as the stars of the heaven. In all this land that I've spoken, I'll give to your descendants, and you shall have it forever. Not only was Moses gripped by God's people, and not only was Moses' heart gripped by God's person, Moses' heart was gripped by God's promises. He really took God's word and he believed it. And so when someone says, look at this is, you know, and you ever notice how many people like invent scriptures? 
You know, like it says in Scripture, when God closes a door, he opens a window. I'm like, that's the book of, I think of, like, the sound of music. I think is where you got that from, right? Cleanliness is next to godliness. Wow. So what do you do with Jesus getting criticized for his disciples eating with unwashed hands? You can see Jesus going, cleanliness is next to godliness, but this time we'll skip this and let's just eat our meal. I mean, you know, like, let me tell you what, God's a good fisherman. He catches his fish and then he cleans them. Aren't you thankful? Cleaning up your act ahead of time? Tell the dead guy, go clean up and stop stinking. Stop rotting. And then God will take you. Only a God of life can take a dead thing and make it living. And praise God he does. You come to him dead, he makes you alive. How good is that? So he goes, well, you know, and if we don't read his word, we're not going to know whether they're telling us the truth or not. And you're going to believe me. And you know I say it now so much you block out. And we know what the next two minutes are going to be. Let me just kind of go and get ready. Don't just believe me. Search the scripture. Let the Bible have the final say. There you go. Well, I guess some of you have heard that before, haven't you? Hey, if, if I'm going to say that about me, would you expect I'd say you should say that about politicians? The news? Scientists? Some other guy that stands up with a tie and a lame coat that weighs it and watches people fall over and bark like chickens or whatever? I mean, in the end of it all, you should do that about everything. It says test everything. By the true and tried Word of God that everyone that's tried to disqualify it has either been proven foolish for it or become Christian. So people are saying, well, give me some evidence about people who, who aren't believers but saw Jesus raised from the dead. And I'm like, do you realize how dumb that sounds? Somebody sees Jesus raised from the dead, and I'm like, yeah, I'm not going to believe in that now. I'm going to write a book about it. Well, come on, be honest. If you saw Jesus raised from the dead, chances are you gave your life to him, don't you think? I don't need to prove anything to anyone because the Lord's already made it clear. Now, here's my point, beloved. There's a world out there right now desperate for everything that God offers, but they don't want him. They could get it in a bottle or in a pill or on a movie or in a program or through the government or whatever they would happily do. So that's why no one seeks after God. What they want is stuff, but they don't want Him. But God, on the other hand, what He wants is us. Our stuff just comes with it. Our troubles, our problems, our baggage, our rebellion, our golden calves, our competition. But He wants us anyways. And the moment we gave our life to Him, He placed His heart inside of ours. Isn't that what happened? He gave us a heart transplant. He took that stony heart that was impervious to things and he replaced it with a heart of flesh. And not like flesh, like in the flesh, but a heart that can be touched, a circumcised heart that's cut open. That's why God would say, listen to this, circumcise the foreskin of your heart and be stiff-necked no more. Do you see how that works? You stiff-necked because it's all about you. But if your heart could get cut open, well, you give me a chance to actually love other people through it. If you call yourself a Christian here, as I would, I know that's his call. He calls you to be a gap stander. And what a gap stander is, is somebody that has God's heart in between God's wrath and those who rightly deserve it, remembering that they themselves also rightly deserve it. We're part of that crew, but we've been adopted by that one. And say, God, look it. I plead your blood for your people. I, my heart is torn for your people, gripped. And it's gripped for your person because, man, people think you are, you are so not. And gripped by your promises because your promises promise that you are going to come back and set this whole thing right. And I trust you in that. Here's the last thing, and we'll pray. What God said was if you leave me alone, my wrath, that's what you get. And I go, you know what I really need then? I really need somebody to not leave God alone. I need a mediator. And Timothy says there is exactly one. There's one mediator who stood in the gap because when God says, when I looked to see if there was anyone who'd stand in the gap, I didn't find anyone. So God says, so his own arm brought salvation. And then they read, how is the arm of the Lord had been revealed? Look at it with me. Turn to this text and we'll close this up. His own arm brought salvation. Isaiah 53. That's 53, not 50, verse 3. 
Now, if you're new to the Bible, if you close your Bible and open up right in the middle, chances are you'll get to the book of Psalms. The next book just to the right of it, um, that's the next big book. There's some small books in between, but the next ma- very major book is going to be Isaiah. It's fairly easy to find at that point. Listen to this. And to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? For he shall grow up before them as a tender plant, as a root out of dry ground. He had no former comeliness, and when we should see him, no beauty that we should desire him. Jesus was not a good-looking guy. He was despised and rejected of men, a man of sorrows, acquainted with grief. And like one from whom we hide our faces, he was despised and we esteemed him not. Surely our sorrows he carried in our griefs he bore. And yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten of God and afflicted. But he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities and the chastisement of our peace was upon him. And by his stripes we are healed. For we all like sheep have gone astray. We have turned each one to his own way. And the Lord has laid upon him the iniquity of us all. He was oppressed and he was afflicted. He opened not his mouth and he was led like a lamb to the slaughter. And as a sheep before its shearers is silent. So he opened not his mouth and he was taken from prison and from judgment. Who will declare his generation? For he was cut off from the land of the living. And for transgressions of my people he was smitten. He was stricken. Yet they made him a grave with the wicked, but with the rich at his death. Because he had done no violence, nor was any deceit found in his mouth. And yet it pleased the Lord to bruise him. He put him to grief. That when you make his soul an offering for sin, you shall, he shall see his seed and prolong his days. And the pleasure of the Lord shall prosper in his hand. He shall see the labor of his soul and be satisfied. And by the knowledge of my righteous servant shall justify many. For he shall bear their iniquities. Therefore I will dis- divide his portion among the great or with the great. And he shall divide the spoil with the strong. Because he poured out his soul unto death. He was numbered with the transgressors and bore the sin of many. He made intercession for transgressors. Beloved, who is God speaking about there? There's only one person, and that's Jesus. God says, if I were left alone, it would be wrath because I'm a righteous judge. And Jesus says, yes, but you're also a loving God. And because you're a loving God, you sent me. Now let me ask you, have you accepted that gift? The gift of of Jesus Christ who died on the cross for your sins and rose again for the newness of life. Have you accepted that gift? Because I'm going to give you the opportunity to say yes, if not. But if you haven't accepted the gift of Jesus, you're still a dead man. And all the clone and good works will not benefit you until you meet the God of life who offers you this free life. Will you pray with me, please? Oh God of people, perfect in character, a friend of sinners, loving, saving, and adopting, and transforming Father. Please move my heart for what breaks yours. Grip my heart for your people, your person, and your promises. That I would be such an individual that would stand in the gap. A person that would be gripped for the gap. And in that, God, that you would use me. Because, Lord, I know in the end of it all, you're looking for even one person Please, Lord, let it never be said that your eyes span throughout London looking for one person that will stand in the gap for this this country, for this city, and you found none. Lord, I know you're going to find at least one because here I am, God, and I say, God, I plead your blood and I beg your mercy upon these people. For we, Lord, here, the people of London, have sinned against you. We've made a mockery of your people. We've made irrelevant your church. We've made awkward anything that testifies of your goodness. We've made uncultural to testify of right and wrong. Lord, as a people, we've sought our own comforts, our own, our own absence from any form of conviction, and all we've sought is everything our way. And God, I beg your forgiveness. And God, I want to stand in the gap and just say, please, God, bring mercy upon these people and myself included. And I plead the only one, Lord, who could give us that great grace, Lord, and that is you through the gift of your Son, Jesus the Christ, at the cross who died for the sins of all of London, not just mine, not just the people in this church, but every human being, be them however vile or kind they may appear, you died for every 
one of them for every sin, for every rotten and filthy thing. You died for them all. You paid for them in full. You rose from the dead three days later just as you promised. And so I say, Lord God, please have mercy and grant grace. And I do confess Jesus as my Savior, the payment for my guilt, the one who's covered my shame. And because He's risen from the dead, I proclaim Him as my Lord to reinvent me in all the ways that bring you glory and pleasure. And in that I know that You'll make my heart one that loves people. So now, even now, God, I pray, make my heart everything You ordain. I am Yours, Jesus, in Your name. And if You agree, I ask You to say, Amen.